0: Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wabo's most Canadian work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And
1: that was Ruben Morehouse.
0: Thanks, Elliot. And we're here to talk about 7.x, which is the interlude that comes after that chapter that we talked about last <laughs> time. Um, and- yeah,
1: well, hold on. So before we get started on the episode, I just... Uh, uh, wait, or just before we dive into the actual chapter, yeah. I just want to call out how great the concept for this chapter is like like as we saw at the end of the 7.11 episode uh that ending raised so many questions yes uh, you
0: wrote down a lot of questions
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh and this this chapter structure is such a great way of giving us answers to so many of them while also teaching us so much new stuff while also kind of avoiding actually answering some of the big questions um yeah, it's so great. Like it, it it does so much and it it's a this it was such a perfect time to do an interlude like this. Uh I I I just love that this is here and now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good chapter. Um I it's so interesting because it takes all these different perspectives as a way of actually really diving into okay, what are the ramifications of this, right? Um without answering like you said some of the stuff like we I saw some of your notes that you wrote down for this chapter. You still think that you wrote? I think if we see Blake, and so that's still a question. (laughs) Like, does Blake exist? What's going on? Like, I love that. That's there's still yeah.
1: I think I was more confident Blake was going to come back before starting this chapter than I was (laughs) at the end of it. Mm. Um, I guess I guess I'll talk about that. But um, I I think one other thing I want to quickly say before we actually dive into the chapter, um, I just want to get this out of the way. Otherwise, I'll sort of have this rant scattered across like <laughs> five or six of the segments is yeah. um I'm just a really big fan of like uh xeno fiction and yeah it, it's something that I think the written word is uniquely capable of capturing like film and TV are so limited because it's just like visual and audio cues like you know, how many times has an alien just had, like, a fisheye lens and, and, like, IR turned on? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and that's how different its brain is. Um, And, like, video games are, like, a little bit better equipped, but not much. Whereas the written word, like, when you engage or read a story, it's, like, activating your imagination. You're placing yourself in there. Uh, and it's just, you know, you, you, enter, you can enter the head of alien things so much better in, in written stories. And... Like, a big part, I think, of why I'm such a big Wabo fan is he absolutely kicks ass at at Xenofiction.
0: Yeah. I remember one of the points in Worm where I was first like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a big thing for me, was that uh, Brutus interlude where you're inside the head of a dog and it just makes sense. Like, it just works. Um, And obviously, there are a lot of other points where things like that happen throughout the story yeah i mean i think we
1: may have even sort of touched on some of this in our Meteor md episode on worm which would have been like over two years ago now mm. uh but like even when i was only halfway through worm and i was like trying to sell it to people as i was still going one of the things i'd already latched onto was i loved how Wildbow captured the alien senses of, of parahumans. humans uh like taylor obviously has a bug sense and it affects how she thinks because she interacts with the world differently through this other sense and uh the scene where Trickster gets uh, his his new powers is, like, etched in my mind because mm-hmm. I loved watching someone come to terms with a new sense uh, that was so alien and, and just how easily Wildbo conveyed this completely, you know, abstract sense to us. Um, and I've been really excited. Like, Pact, I think, has even more potential than the Parahumans universe for, like, the complete spectrum of xenofiction from mostly human to not at all human. <laughs> and I mean this chapter we kind of see that entire spectrum uh yeah, to some true. degree. Like we, we get we get bits and pieces from from right across both ends. It's great. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, it, it is it is great. You're right. And and that's some of my favourite parts of this chapter. Um I think we'll get into that especially when we talk about Isadora. Uh, who I think represents yeah. that so well. Um, anyway, I guess let's let's yes, let's we've, actually we've, start the chapter now. <laughs> we've spent five minutes in this episode without even <laughs> talking about the first thing. So, um, <laughs> the first thing in this chapter is uh, we start with with an excerpt from a book, and it it kind of gives you vibes of uh, of Black Lamb's Blood, or at least it did to me. Oh, it did to me as well. Yeah, t- talking about demons in the in the. Scientific, theoretical sense, um, specifically talking about Demons of the First Choir and what it actually means for them to destroy things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was so cool. Yeah. It's such a- uh, the, you're right that the structure of this chapter is so good, right? Because this is taking us away from what we saw at the end of the last chapter, where it was Blake has died and he's the protagonist of this story that we've, you know, come to to love- um and criticize in a very loving way um yeah. and we've seen over the past chapter especially his close connections to everybody and so experiencing that last chapter is very emotional right it affects us on an emotional level whereas this mm. interlude takes us a step removed from that and actually talks about what this means <laughs> in a in a kind of abstract theoretical sense um we, we'll get back to the emotional stuff later don't worry but for now we're we're talking about what what would it actually theoretically mean for Blake to be erased?
1: No, you're right. It's it's the perfect way to open it up because yeah, as you said, it, we're taking a step back and like looking at this very analytically. Like it's sort of saying, here is what has happened. Like you know, scientifically doesn't seem like the right <laughs> word. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's very much this is sort of factually probably what has just happened to blake yeah and there's no there's no specifics to this situation it's just like here here is your ability to kind of process what has just happened and you know then we are going to dive into what this actually means for the people that and the characters that you know we are familiar with
0: yeah it's great because it is like i mean you know we in in i think it was the first or second interlude we had the the interlude about familiars and domains and implements, and the the structure of that was here's the theoretical and now have the practical example, and you get to kind of explore the human side of that and that's basically yeah. what this chapter is at a at a bigger scale it's the first part is here's the theoretical of what's happened, and then we just see example after example of that thing happening right um yeah. it's awesome, yeah uh so what the book is saying in essence is when when first choir demons erase something, that's it, it's gone. It's erased. Nothing is left behind except for the chaos that kind of rushes in, and and in that chaos, in that vacuum left behind, we as humans are, are kind of intent on seeing a pattern there, where it kind of looks like a hallucination or whatever that that is left behind is something being added back into the world, but that's just our perception interpreting the the nothingness that the first choir leaves.
1: Yeah, essentially reality tries to fix itself and humans just attribute like you know those changes uh in reality to something else in reality. Like you know we don't tend to think outside reality because what does that even mean? Yeah. Um uh, like I wanted to call out one specific segment uh from this uh which says um Shiburi's blindness and deafness ultimately leaves one so unable to see or hear that they will perceive absolutely everything that doesn't exist in space and time as their eyes and ears are opened ever wider to the true void which is like <sighs> what yeah. the fuck like that's that's some top tier lovecraftian horror like e- e- like i think i think it's it really captures that sense that this opening book episode is going for which is just you know this is a very fundamental thing that has happened
0: yeah and i like that it's It kind of sets it up as we can't really know what's going to happen now, right? Mm. Like We can kind of make guesses of how things will react based on Blake's erasure, but really we don't know how reality is going to react to Blake's erasure because it is kind yeah. of, by definition, incomprehensible for us mere mortals, <laughs> right? Um, and I, I love that. I love how it answers questions while also saying, I'm not going to tell you the answer. <laughs> You'll just have to fucking wait and see. Yeah, yeah, which yeah.
1: is kind of this chapter in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think it's interesting to, to think about what this chapter, what the start of this chapter is saying in the context of the rest of the chapter. And I guess we'll kind of get to that as we talk about each of these little perspectives that we see. Yeah, yeah. um, I want to call out one specific line, which seems ominous, that <laughs> says, uh, that which is destroyed can be replaced, but it cannot be retrieved. Um. As, and I think that's obviously pretty on the nose saying to us, Blake's yeah. going to be replaced, obviously Rose is the implication there, but not retrieved, which is grim.
1: I mean, this is how the segment ends, like apart from, you know, the the saying where it comes from, which is it's from one of uh, Ro- Granny Rose's books. Yeah, which is uh,
0: also a thing in and of itself. Yes,
1: uh... <laughs> But the fact that it ends on this, it, it's very—it's a blatant statement by Walbo saying Blake, as we knew him, is not coming back. Like I yeah. guess I—I I do still think it's quite likely that we're going to get a Blake back, but it—it's not going to be the same thing. Like, I think there's going to be some interesting existential questions surrounding uh, whatever potential Blake we're following for the rest of the uh, web serial. Mm. Um, you know, like, one thought that jumped to my mind when I was reading this was, if Rose makes a vestige of herself that's male, (laughs) is that going to be a Blake?
0: Yeah, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? uh,
1: Yeah, I don't know. But, you know, if if that was a Blake and we started following that, obviously that would be a nice uh, inversion of of some previous things.
0: (laughs) You just want to see Rose being bitchy towards Blake and see him in the other shoe. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does sound fun. Um, and, and that's the end of the first part of this chapter. And then we cut to another perspective, the perspective of Isadora, and we realise, oh, this is going to be bouncing around a bunch. Um, yeah. And Isadora is watching Blake about to go into the factory and kind of reminiscing on the events that have happened basically <laughs> since he's been in Toronto and and her interactions with him since he's been in Toronto.
1: Yeah. And this is our first taste of some of the, the xenofiction we're going to get in this chapter. Yeah. Um, And I love- I love this concept of how Isadora is like tied into reality. I mean, she's talked about that a lot, but seeing it from her head just made it so much clearer in in mind. Like the this sense of the disruptions the uh, that uh is making to reality sort of affect her in a physical way, just being near it. Like uh, she, I think she likens it to a human going too close to a fire. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is a nice analogy, uh, yeah. but it, it's just, I, I, yeah, I just love this. It's so cool. Like seeing, seeing the
0: way Isadora interprets the world. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, the thing that is interesting to me about this part is Isadora ta- thinks about how she has been basically helping Blake this entire time, right? Um, her eviscerating him was... To buy him more time, which obviously worked. <laughs> um, she bought him three mm. additional days. She's been kind of explicitly boosting his karma, and she really wants him to succeed here to destroy Er. But she's kind of torn between thinking that he will kind of fluke his way into a massive success or just fall flat on his face and fail.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Blake actually wondered at one point whether he whether Isadora had given him some good karma. Mm. I can't. I can't exactly remember the context. I think it was towards the end of arc six or maybe at the beginning of arc seven. Anyway, but um, yeah, I mean, Isadora has kind of explicitly been walking around saying she's trying, or no, she she says she's not directly helping Blake a bunch of times or she won't get involved, but it was always kind of clear she was doing what she thought was right. Yeah. Uh, on the grander scale, and we just usually thought that meant she was at odds with Blake, but it kind of seems, I mean, this this makes it clear that she wasn't always as against Blake as, as I thought, at least. Yeah. Uh, it, it, like, particularly, I think the big revelation here is that she was intentionally trying to keep distance from him in order to make it easier to remember him, which, mm. you know, we'll, we'll get to in a bit. But, like, I think that's probably the biggest development. Mm. Um, I, I also like this this extra insight we get into her psychology, I guess. Uh, Like, she's confused by the fact that when she gave blake good karma it seemed to lead him to the factory (laughs) possibly even quicker yeah uh and and, like you know she's so tied into reality and she gives off this vibe to other characters like from blake's perspective she seems very tied into what is like right and wrong with a capital r and capital w and and we're sort of seeing here that like it's a bit of an np problem for her like she she can tell if something's right or wrong but she doesn't quite understand the consequences of everything yet and she's still trying to figure that out and and that's partially just you know her unique personality and partially like the limits of her her as a sphinx uh, it's such a cool such a cool concept like to to watch her ha- have
0: so much knowledge and still be frustrated by the gaps that she has yeah you definitely get the sense that she kind of has a vague sense of how she can set you know a rolling stone into motion to try and achieve the effects that she wants, but she's still, it's still a black box to her. So it's still like, yeah, yeah. it's very fascinating because she, she is, she like gives Blake luck. Like she says here, Mm. I, instead of wishing him luck, I'm literally giving him luck, which is like a fucking wild (laughs) thing. But it's so like, she so clearly is, shares goals with Blake here. Yeah.
1: Um, there's also an interesting bit where she talks about how he's the full card, uh, and that's usually mm. associated with air. But she thinks Blake is like a different element, and I don't. This feels like something that you know later on. I'll be like, ooh, that's what she was thinking about," but right now,
0: I I don't, I don't know exactly what what this means. Mm. Okay. Well, put a pin in it for later. Um, there's also so yeah. So Isadora is kind of affected by by Ur on a fundamental level. And because of this, she's able to sense that Ur er is much worse than she or anybody really thought. Um, it stretches out below the ground seemingly infinitely, and, and basically Isadora comes to the conclusion, right before he is erased, that Blake basically has no chance to take this thing down.
1: Yeah, so it just sounds like it hasn't left the confines of the factory, it's just dug down incredibly deep and it's huge. Yeah. And, uh, like, everyone... Vastly underestimated
0: this demon, I think it's pretty safe to say. Yeah, Um, I get the vibe that people think it's trapped there, but it's kind of made its home there, and that's a very different interpretation. (laughs) Um, Um, It's also interesting to me, like,
1: something we we talked about briefly a while ago was uh, that Pact kind of seemed to be dabbling with these themes of, like, you know, when you have an entrenched system and, Mm. and there are too many people who could try to improve it, but just don't. Like, you know, a lot of practitioners just accept the system and, and use it selfishly and, and, and you know, don't don't try to fix it or help others as yeah. much as they could. Yeah, I mean,
0: and, it's pretty... We we had that with the whole diabolism thing with Black Lamb's Blood, yeah. and that was basically the whole situation with Conquest, right? Until Blake tried to change it and did. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And I, And I think that was something that really jumped out to me in this because, you know, we see here... Isadora, like obviously, it was very painful for her, and you know, it took someone like Blake going in to, to draw her near. But she got so much useful information about this thing, and we see later that people like the Shepherd also have useful information. It's like if these people could just sort their shit mm. out for fifteen minutes, like they could, they could share so much information and and help each other with this sort of stuff. Mm. Uh it's it's so frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I it feels, <laughs> it feels. Kind of insurmountable, right, like it feels like there's an answer, but it's just never gonna come to pass,
1: yeah, yeah, but you know if Isadora had been here before, she'd already know this stuff, if the shepherd was willing to tell anyone, or you know just write it down, he doesn't have to speak, mm. just write down like how many people have been got by her since he apparently can track that, wait, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, it's just um you know more knowledge could have been shared if if everyone was more open and willing to work together,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I want to pull out another line here, which I thought you would like, uh, where Isadora, <laughs> uh, it says, Isadora looked for Maggie, but Maggie was gone and had been for some time. And now this <laughs> is obviously after Maggie has left. And so it is a bit ambiguous <laughs> whether this is kind of stepping towards a confirmation of who knows what, or, um, or if she's just left, but I might, um, you know, I-, I definitely pulled this out because I knew you would have some, uh, you'd get your tinfoil hat at this line. Actually didn't
1: i yeah so i think i mean i guess i may as well just talk about this here but uh walbo has mentioned in in the comments uh under some of the chapters for arc 7 that there's like a maggie uh interlude arc i think Mm. coming up like he he's pretty much all but confirmed it so i'm actually expecting arc 8 to be a maggie interlude arc so i i i feel like maybe it's just tying more into that i I, i'm wondering if with a maggie interlude coming up you know she supposedly came down here to sort of have a controlled crack at some, uh, you know, blood, fire, and darkness. And uh, I'm wondering if maybe uh, that's going to backfire a bit. Mm. Uh, if Maggie doesn't get out of the city pretty fucking quick, she's going to be in the middle of a literal shitstorm. Yeah. Uh.
0: So yeah. Yeah. True. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see. I guess if Arc Eight turns <laughs> out to be Maggie's uh, interlude uh, arc. Um. So yeah. The last thing we see towards the end of this Isadora section is she feels it as Blake is erased and she sees, uh, Rose and the others, uh, and Evan, um, she sees them forget Blake. Uh, she's able to kind of segment herself a bit, compartmentalize enough that she can kind of circumvent the erasure. Um, but yeah, she's, she, she sees it go down and it's sad. <laughs> it's like experiencing yeah. the sadness all over again.
1: But something that's littered throughout this chapter is potential avenues for us to get parts of Blake back. And this is probably mm. the first and one of the biggest ones is Isadora remembers a, f- a bunch of fairly important details about yeah. who and what he was. Uh, so it's encouraging <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. in a way. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's hard to watch it again. And her details of how the Cabal
0: react to it are pretty tragic. But she seems upset, she seems upset that this is how he's gone out, um yeah, and she she has this moment that i I kind of don't know how to pass where she she realizes, oh hey, I have to tell Paige about this, right, which is like it's the right thing to do, but I don't see her reason for it like I don't see I s- so, i don't see a strategic reason for it beyond just kind of like it seems like the right thing to do, which is reassuring, I guess. <laughs>
1: When you say the right thing to do, is that with a capital or a... I don't know Elliot I don't know <laughs> um yeah, no, I agree it, it is interesting it that did she be willing to tell Paige because I mean a lot of people seem to think that maybe it's just easier to to leave it be, which we just sort of talked about um but yeah. yeah, I mean it's a good sign like, like as, a, as I said where page might be. Might be someone who tries to push things along a bit on uh, getting Blake
0: back if she learns this.
1: Mm. I don't know.
0: I'm just hoping that that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Um, so, after Isadora, we go to the perspective of The Eye, uh, who is kind of waiting on the sidelines of, of Toronto because he knows that Conquest is going to beat Blake. And then Conquest has said, yep, go on a rampage and burn people. Um, And then... The the eye forgets why he's waiting, because, of course, he forgets Blake, and so he forgets mm. that Conquest is in a contest with somebody. And so, of course, the next logical thought is, all right, time for my rampage. <laughs> uh, so he goes to fuck shit up and, and try and hear people scream, basically, it seems to be his driving motivation. Yeah, and so you sort of skimmed over
1: the opening, which is a physical description of the eye and what it is composed of, and it's horrifying. Mm. Uh, it's basically like hundreds of people burning alive I- in the flames. Uh like it's incredibly fucked up. Yeah. Uh and so like the eye is an elemental, I think, I think we've been told. And I don't think we know much about elementals. I haven't really played much DD. I know elementals are a thing in D D, but I mm. don't know the law that surrounds them there. Mm. But like I guess normally when I think of an elemental, I think like fire or earth. Or, or something. Like, or like air the, the, or water, yeah. Yeah, like, the Sisters of the Torch have a fire elemental that yeah. they're sort of based around. Whereas the eye almost seems to be, like, an elemental of humans dying because of their own shit. Mm. Uh, like, he's, like, the an elemental of weapons and, and human, human like, murder, I guess. Mm. Uh, and so, of course, you know, much like a, f- a fire elemental, I think, is kind of made out of fire- the eye is made out of people dying due to weapons. <sighs>
0: <laughs> like, it's yeah, crazy. It's, it's wild. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, and this is, obviously, the eye l- goes on his rampage here, right? Um, yeah. And this is our first example of the negativity that's kind of rippling out from Blake's erasure. And I think this is the most kind of uh, obvious one. Like, it's, it's very yeah. straightforward. This bad thing is going to go kill things now, right? Like it's very much like, oh, this bad thing is off the off the leash now. Fuck. Um, and we're going to get some more subtle, but I think equally as dangerous ones.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I agree. This is definitely the most blatant, and and probably why it's the first. Just the yeah. some bad shit's going down now that Blake is out of the picture. Yeah. Um. Th- what What's interesting is one thing. The eye shows a bit of humanity, I guess. Hmm. Um, you know, there's a bit where it's, it's thinking about blame and that apparently stirs bad memories. And then, you know, then it just goes back to rampaging. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I guess I don't know enough about elementals and where they sit on the uh, humanity spectrum, but maybe, you know, maybe a bit like an incarnation. It once had a human component and that's still in there somewhere. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll see more of this. Maybe we won't, um, but it's interesting.
0: mm. Yeah, you're right. It it is, and I I I get the sense that it just is to flesh out the world because we're going to get to this a bit later uh, when we talk about the shepherd. But it, I I really get this strong sense of of Wabo kind of using this chapter to hint at. I mean, not even really for any specific purpose that we can see yet. Just kind of like deepening the world a bit. Yeah, I, I think just
1: ju- doing justice to these characters that we're entering yeah. the headspace of, even even briefly, just yeah, making make it clear that these are not just machines or or you know void empty personalities.
0: Yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's it's kind of showing how how much Wabo fleshes out the the bitterest of bit parts, right? Um, yeah, because yeah. we we have up until now seen the eye as he's he's here to burn shit and flip over cars, right like- yeah.
1: yeah, up until now he's just been essentially like a machine, yeah uh and th- this implies a bit more personality and humanity to it than uh I had expected,
0: yeah, yeah, which is great i mean that's this is why one of the main reasons why I think Wabo has such a, a kind of cult following is just because people find these deep connections to all these side characters. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, speaking of deep connections, next we move on to the uh, astrologer, uh, who is finally able to lie down and, and get some sleep because Blake has negotiated a temporary truce between her and the sisters, um, of Wait course. for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right as she's about to fall asleep, she realises hold on, I'm still at war with the sisters because, of course, Blake's (laughs) gone now, so that truce also, by connection, uh, has vanished. Um, And she wakes up and she's- it's fucking sad, right? Like, she- she's about to finally get some rest and then suddenly she has this kind of sensation of, oh, shit, I can't- I can't- I can't rest. I can't ever be at peace while this is going on. And it just is like- you know the the eye going on a rampage obviously is bad but but this is just a a clear positive thing a a way that Blake mended the world a bit, and it's just gone it's it's just like it just sucks
1: <laughs> uh yeah, I agree it was like the the eye going on its rampage was like an oh fuck moment, and this is just
0: like an oh no, yeah moment. It gets sadder because Diana remembers that she had guests and notices. The amount of mugs that she has to wash up and there's one more than she remembers having guests um and it's doug's mug her mentor's mug uh which obviously she thinks to herself that she would only give to somebody that she really cared about um and so this person whoever they were is gone and this kind of redoubles her obsession to kind of preserving her mentor's legacy just in case her mentor's legacy fades out um so not only has uh Not only has the truce been reset, but Diana is even more obsessed with the kind of defensive behavior, which is going to lead to making whatever impending war between the astrologer and the elder sister, uh, it's going to make it worse. Um, yeah. 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 This bit was so heartbreaking.
1: Uh, it was, it was just like, oh, wait, wait, all the stuff with the mugs. It just crushed me. Uh, and, and yeah, like you said, she's someone who's been defined by wanting to, Preserve Doug's legacy, and and this has sort of triggered that impulse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, as you sort of said, this isn't gonna. This is gonna make things between her and the sisters even worse. Uh, I think because she's going to get even more aggressive in trying to protect uh, Doug's legacy.
0: Yeah, and you know the other thing about this that that gets to me is Blake has his cabal, right? And obviously we we've, we've we've seen and we've felt the impact of him being forgotten by them, but. It's always been from his perspective the world is against him, right? And that's fair to a large extent. But this is us seeing an example of you were making headway, Blake. You had the the Knights of the Basement as an example, and you had Isadora, you had Diana, and these people who you were actually like making a good impression on, and and who you were helping to improve. And and this is just nope, Control Z that that's that's gone now.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. One of the things that keeps coming up in this chapter is that Blake was not uh, as alone in the world as he thought or yeah. not. You know, it wasn't as much the world versus Blake as as Blake thought. Uh,
0: <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a bummer. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's just a bummer. Um speaking of bummers, next we got to the banks. <laughs> These transitions are so on point. Um, Yeah, so uh, we we see Duncan, who is planning his retaliation against Blake. Um, They're they're basically figuring out what they're going to do next to hit back against Blake. And then that idea disappears. Uh, And suddenly Duncan decides, well, you know what? We don't really have a reason to be around here. So let's head back to Jacob's Bell.
1: So I I actually got the impression from this that Duncan might know a bit more than just, yeah, oh, my memory's gone. Yeah. Uh, the way the way he sort of leans back and is like, oh, it's coming soon, and uh, we get this great sequence of, like, ticks, and then there's just a tick missing, and Duncan sort of sits up, and he's like, right, we can go now. Yeah. I uh, I almost got the impression from the way he's, he phrases it to, um, I think it was Owen he was talking to, mm-hmm. uh, that it's sort of like, well, that's the end of phase one. You know, we had some casualties, obviously, but now it's time for phase two, and we've got to head back to Jacob's Bell. Like, I'm I'm interested to see what the Bahames might have cooking when, uh, whoever gets back to, uh, Jacob's <laughs> bell in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Um, so yeah, Duncan is, uh, seems to be kind of sliding into Laird's place as the patriarch, which I don't know how I feel about. Um, we've kind of talked on this podcast before about how Duncan does feel like the, the mindless follower to Laird's actually charismatic leader. Um, but we'll see if he can kind of step into his shoes, I suppose.
1: I mean, yeah, I've I've enjoyed Duncan as a villain in <laughs> in some of the previous stuff. I am I'm excited that we're going to get more of him. Uh, y- yeah, I I'm excited for him to sort of be the new face of the Bahames. Uh, mm. especially because Led commanded a certain amount of respect in Jacob's Bell that I'm not sure Duncan would yeah. be able to. Uh, yeah. Uh, just just because he's not because he's Duncan, but because he's not Led. Mm. Uh, like it really seems like Led was the one who pioneered this. Uh alliance with the Duchamps and stuff so just the fact that led has gone probably means things in Jacob's Bell might get a bit shakier and and, uh
0: having Duncan as our face man for that is is exciting (laughs) yes I I guess we'll see um next of course we go to the sisters uh the sisters of the torch and we see elder sister and she's she's businessing she's doing business uh (laughs) she's she's discussing a kind of business arrangement with what seems to be a snowplow company. Um, basically wheeling so. and dealing with a bit of uh, light practitioner magic on the side to help get all her deals in the right, you know, in her favour. Oh, is that what she was doing?
1: Uh, anyway. um, yeah. <laughs> uh, No, th- this whole segment really establishes her as, like, a person of power. Uh, she She's ordering everyone around, manipulating this guy on the phone. Uh, Like, like you could see... Yeah, as Blake sort of mentioned when he met her, you could see how she could end up being the Lord. Yeah, uh, just based on this, like this really
0: sets her up as someone who is very comfortable in command. Yeah, she definitely kind of has the the vibe for it. Uh, she she pretty easily navigates the conversation that she's having on the phone here, even before she you know plays some some magic cards. So
1: okay, so so the bit the bit where she was playing with the little elemental woman on on the table, yeah, are, are you thinking that was her? Well, that uh, would be
0: my practicing. That, I mean, it could just kind of be the idle kind of thing you do while you're on the phone as a practitioner, which also makes sense. But it does feel like she she she's kind of getting most of the way with with Mac, the guy on the phone, and then <laughs> she reaches out to the elemental, and then she says. Look, look into it, and you'll see that some of your employees are doing really badly at their job. Which feels like she's used magic to fuck over some of these employees (laughs) for her own benefit.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't get that impression while I was reading it, but um, I wait, I could have just missed it.
0: I don't know. Yeah, yeah, maybe the the chain of events to me seems to suggest that she's used magic to kind of make some of these guys' employees worse at their jobs. But I might just be kind of interpreting too unrelated things as as connected when they aren't yeah yeah i don't know i'd have to go look at it again um anyway uh so so elder sisters kind of talking to this guy because she's planning for when she becomes the lord of toronto right she's she's clearly mm. got a plan in place she's um, making good business connections she's clearly setting up a more controlled uh, a version of of what toronto will look like right um which obviously is a bit manipulative but it seems like it'll be in relatively good hands
1: yeah, I mean, you could do a lot worse for a lord. Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, also she she's someone who's a lot more tied into the uh you know the non the Muggle world, world. Yeah, yeah. Like conquest was very much the spiritual arm of Toronto's leadership. Yeah, uh, and and it, whereas elder sister seems like somebody who would still be balancing the two worlds, which yeah. sounds good for normal people and like
0: casual practitioners. Yes, definitely. Um. Of course, she's kind of, she kind of has this moment of about to sit back and think, yep, this is going well, when suddenly she realises, oh, wait, we still have a fire spirit that we need to get. Because, of course, Blake's <laughs> forgotten and uh, their truce is forgotten with him. And she calls somebody to basically prepare all the dolls that they have to go to war. <laughs> um, I love this line that just precedes this bit where she forgets Blake, where she's
1: like, so long as things stayed predictable, she saw a fairly clear straight road to the lordship of the city, temporarily or long term. And I, it's just one of those moments where it's like, you know, oh, so long as things stayed predictable, mm-hmm. it's like, well, not, uh,
0: yeah. Oops.
1: and then this is immediately followed up with her forgetting Blake, and you're like, oh, well, this is where all of her
0: well-laid-out plans go to hell. Yeah. Um... Yeah, this frustrates me. Like, you know, everything was getting better. Blake had actually affected some positive change, uh, which is the one thing he wanted to do before he died. But of course, his death undoes all of it. So it's it's all moot in the end. He he almost undid what Rose did. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I kind of got the sense when that happened that it was like JP just kind of did that <laughs> as, a, as a like, oh, I'm helping um i don't oh, know if it was
1: on a direct order look if you're just gonna let jp out and be like yeah, can you right. mess with those you two can't and- wash your hands <laughs> like- of that can you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: um so uh next we cut to the shepherd and he feels the recoil immediately um and he stays silent not because he has to but because he knows he would lie and he doesn't want to lie yeah so again this is just
1: someone we've only ever really seen as an enemy yeah uh, and we get a little insight into, uh, you know, who they are outside that.
0: Yeah, it's it's eight lines and it's like, oh, shit, there's a whole story here. <laughs> like, there's a whole thing here and we're just not going to see it.
1: Yeah, yeah. As as we sort of mentioned, it, it just sort of implies that there's more to him. But, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd be happy to see more of it. But I also would be happy if this is all we get. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just a little bit of, you know, this is the shepherd and, and where he kind of stands from his perspective. And, again, I'm still a little bit angry at him for not communicating the fact that he knows every time he wipes someone <laughs> out. That's such a dick
0: move. Yeah, you're right. He could write it down, couldn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you're right that he- I don't know. I mean, he is a- look, you have some depth, Shepard. Your eight lines in this chapter, prove it, but you're still a bit of a dick, so you got, you got a way to go. <laughs> yeah. Um- so the final perception we see, no, sorry, the second last, because I i forgot ironically about the last one. Uh, the second <laughs> last one we see here is uh, Rose. Um, and she's kind of freaking out. She feels like she's having a panic attack. And it's because, for some strange reason, the world that she lives in, and has always lived in, as far as she knows, just feels more vibrant than it has before. And who knows why? <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, this is great. It took me a second to sort of process, like, what this was, like, the way she was, like, the air was just, like, feeling, feeling like it was giving her a high, and I was like, oh, right, this is what happened when she ended up in Conquest's domain. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a nice little detail of of her trying to process it and us being like, ooh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, so the other thing is, her analogy for explaining this is, uh, she talks about a time she went to camp as a kid, and they all got dirty, and they were all proud of how, like you know, filthy they were. And and this is just really bad imagery for our new diabolist to be to be clinging to as a fond memory. Yeah, uh, like get, being happy and and proud of being in the muck is just <laughs> that's not that's not good diabolist thinking. Uh, it has me worried.
0: All the all the every time there's an opportunity for one of uh, for one of these analogies to pop up, it's always one that you can just kind of interpret as a bad sign for Rose. Yeah. It's been very consistent, yeah. which is horrifying.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's always like, there's so many bits in this story where Rose does something,
0: and, and just there's there's something about it that leaves just a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. Um. Speaking of, Rose kind of thinks about how she. She sees the Cabal and she knows that she knows them, but she just doesn't feel connected to them. Um, which seems bad, especially because she kind of decides to keep them around, right? And and it's obviously not because she feels that much of a connection to them. She It kind of feels like they're not quite her new kill squad, but, you know, they're tools to her, um... Not explicitly, but implicitly enough that it's concerning.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, just, I, I don't trust Rose to not be willing to use them as tools at some point. And maybe that's unfair, I don't know, but that's just my gut feeling based on what we've seen of her and, uh. I think that's really captured. You know, she she pulls her no- the, the note she wrote herself oh, yeah. uh, out out in a second, and the the way it's all phrased, it's kind of like oh, and you know, there's this cabal, and you can manipulate them and make them do this and blah blah. blah. Uh, not that you you should. Uh, it's such it's such an afterthought. The like <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. I just mean, like, but yeah. but you could.
0: Let's be real, Rose put that, not that you should, in the case that Blake didn't get erased, and she would be like, to have plausible deniability, basically. She totally wants to manipulate them, it's just that she didn't want Blake to see that part of the note.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, way, the way it's tacked on at the end of the paragraph feels very disingenuous. Yeah. I, I
0: guess the more charitable read on it is... It's kind of, she's she's at conflict between her more cold self and her more, you know, compassionate self, which you could read into that there, but I, well, Well She's also proven to be a very, like, scientific or analytically
1: minded person, uh, yeah. es- especially in terms of how she's approached the world. And I guess it would be a very sort of, uh, y- you know, amoral scientific perspective to be like, you can do this, blah, 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 and then just sort of at the end think, oh, I mean, you probably shouldn't, but- yeah. Uh, you know it's that it's that uh like scientists can can run into that fairly often
0: yeah yeah totally um so yeah rose rose finds this note uh, kind of pieces together a bit of things or enough of things that she's kind of like i don't need to I, I can't really do anything here uh and so she decides to head back to jacob's bell um kind of rescuing evan along the way yeah which is nice i mean you know it is my my Fine. happiness
1: that evan is alive currently outweighs my concern that, that Rose is the one who now, uh, for lack of a better word, possesses him. Mm. Uh, so yeah, overall I find this as a net positive because it means Evan is not dead. Um, but (sighs) like, you know, it's not, it's not the cleanest way this could have gone down to quote Isadora. Um, yeah, it's not,
0: it isn't. You're right. It isn't. And again, (laughs) it's explicitly not what Blake wanted. Uh, Isadora kind of touched on that before, I think, um, where she thought, uh, Evan's deal has been forgotten, re- referencing the deal that Blake made to have Evan move on after he died. Um, of course that's forgotten, so I guess yeah. Not- well, I mean, there's there's a great moment where
1: uh Rose first calls Evan and sort of fails to catch him, like it's very clumsy. <laughs> and we've had so many beats of how Blake and Evan have just like been so in sync with him tossing Evan around or catching Evan. Uh, and uh, it, it's this great little uh imagery for just how they're not compatible in the way uh, in the way evan
0: was with blake yeah totally all bad signs in this little perspective um (laughs) let's move on to a more pleasant perspective the final one uh, which is from the perspective of ur the erasure demon uh and it is you know xenofiction again and uh it basically thinks to itself it, it senses all the humans leave and settles back into its hibernation uh it is waiting for the building to erode and for the bindings to erode, it gives birth to three moats, and the factory goes dark and silent again.
1: Yeah, I mean, capping the chapter off with the most xeno fictiony uh, passage is is such a terrifying way to end it. It's it's really <sighs> good. Uh, yeah, like, like we we already got that insight into how much larger and more terrifying Er is uh, in Isadora's section, mm. and now. Like, that, that That was even worse after seeing inside its head for a bit. Yeah. Because uh, it's not it's not rushing to get out. That's the thing. It was strategically <laughs> placing things. It's it's biding its time. It's, it's not, perfectly
0: fine with where it is. Uh,
1: yeah. It, like, you know, it, it specifically talks about- um, Well, actually, I'm just going to read the quote. Uh, yeah. A few more years would pass before the section of wall broke free. A decade more would pass before the binding broke. Everything in place. Everything in time. Mm. And it's so (laughs) alarming. Like like we've just learned how big and and powerful Ur is, and now we're seeing that it's smart, it's organized, it's basically got a plan. Like the world seems pretty fucked. Yeah. uh, just based on this.
0: I mean it's a cancer, right? Like it's a cancer that is just there. And it may be, you know, it may be uh, benign for now, but it's coming and it's gonna spread, and it's just gonna consume everything. Um Yeah. And uh yeah, it's uh it's taken more root than you expected. It's it's fucked up. Um <laughs> and it's terrible because <laughs> Again, to hit this beat, you know, Blake Blake's insistence here on, on fighting Ur really you get the impression that it didn't just cost Blake, it's strengthened Ur. It's it's solidified Ur's foothold here, and it's just like man, Blake, just, you could have just taken a break. Take a break, man, and this wouldn't have happened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely got the impression from this little segment that uh, feeding on Blake strengthened her and allowed it to add to the moats, basically. Like, it's essentially constructing the moats out of the energy it gets from annihilating people is is kind of my take on this. Yeah, I think so. And, um... I mean, I find the, actually the concept of the motes fascinating because the demons create motes, and especially for a demon of the first choir to be creating something is, is kind of paradoxical to their very nature. And, I mean, maybe maybe I'm just being overly picky here. Like, maybe it was just sort of, you know, Wobbo needs to have, have like, a bad guy who can, like, do things and make things. And so, you mm-hmm. know, like, that he he needs to have that ability. But it, it does kind of contradict his his very shtick and i'm wondering if maybe maybe there's something here like i guess i'll keep this in mind but it feels like maybe this could be saying something about the first
0: choir demons i don't know this feels to me to be the most explicit reference to what we were talking about at the start of the book right um we're seeing something get erased and then seemingly in the reaction to that something gets created. which are the modes? um I agree with you that it feels contradictory, but I think that's what the start of the chapter is saying to us—that we aren't comprehending that this is the void rushing in, and, and we kind of can't. I see. That—that's my so, read on it, at least.
1: So you're saying, uh, my my interpretation of what you're saying there is that moats are essentially controlled reality fixing by the demons. So, uh, like, yeah, you know, this yeah. this demon would essentially, so uh, in this case, Ur. Uh, is directing some of that reality rebuilding to form the moats that's interesting yeah i like that it's because it perfectly encapsulates their their idea of not just like being a rot in reality but like being an
0: an infection
1: yeah it's uh, it's
0: anti-reality right like blake is erased Mm. from reality and it kind of becomes anti-reality and then that kind of manifests as some moats because why why not yeah and i mean (laughs) I just assume these motes are going to
1: be way more terrifying than Pose because they're of the first choir, uh, so presumably they're going to be more direct. Uh, and also, Earth uh, seems pretty fucking legit, whereas uh, I think Pose said that his progenitor uh, mm. is stuck in a sword, so can't be that. Can't be all that. Uh yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I am basically as well as Pooh's just running around the place now. Uh, we've also got uh releasing three motes that I assume are more powerful and that's just terrifying.
0: Yay. Um and with that <laughs> uplifting beat, it's the end of uh Void. It's the end of Arc 7. <laughs>
1: what a, yeah, what a way to end. Wait to to follow up Blake's death with the chapter that uh, as we said, uh answers some questions, raises more questions
0: kind of raises the stakes with all this her <laughs> shit right? Like, uh yeah oh and and it's like blake's death was bad for us as the reader but it's also this chapter's here to show us that it's not just bad, bad for, for us it's bad for everybody yeah exactly <laughs> like it's bad for for the people reading out of universe and also just for everybody in universe yeah 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 um so let's let's kind of revisit this chapter a bit uh, not this chapter this arc and and kind of touch on some of the things that that we think this arc is saying so of course the first thing that we should do here is talk about the name void um yeah so the obvious first reason is void <laughs> the, the blake shaped void that is left behind um i think is is pretty apparent um blake was yeah. voided
1: <laughs> um yeah i mean obviously like the concept of a void ties directly into uh and and what just happened to blake yeah um i I also think I don't this feels like I'm reaching, but this this arc was also defined by like a a void where Blake was out for three days and we saw the consequences and then obviously a bit later mm. conquest gets captured, and we see the void of of or you know what what him
0: leaving a void of lordship has done to the city a bit uh i i I don't know no, you're right that the the idea of kind of vacuum of of nature abhorring a vacuum right and and things rushing in kind of recklessly to fill a vacuum is one that we see a bit throughout this this chapter this arc
1: yeah um uh, i think the other thing is blake has well i guess i'm going to use the term oh, there's a void within himself related to his trauma mm-hmm. and that was something we confronted a lot this uh this arc you know right from the dream sequence mm-hmm. uh with with miss lewis uh, to, you know, sort of a bunch of other points. It was, it was Blake very much coming to terms with what he kind of sees as a whole within himself,
0: I think. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it, it definitely, we definitely got the sense that Blake had bits of him kind of missing, right? Like his, his, his desire to have his friends around, but also not to have them around. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, bits. Yeah. Um, of course, since this is packed, the word also is a legal word uh, to mm-hmm. void a a contract. Usually, you would hear it in right, uh, which means to make yeah. it n- null and void, <laughs> to, to 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 cancel a contract.
1: So, well, it's not just about like it, it's because you can prove something is void, or you can make it void. Is my understanding, mm-hmm. like as a non legal person, so it, it's not you. You could be proving something is invalid as well as uh, making
0: something invalid. Mm. Yeah. Um, the one, maybe this is just kind of recency bias to me, but the one that jumps out to me is, is Evan and Blake's arrangement uh, for Evan to move on. Obviously, as Blake was forgotten, that was, uh, that contract was voided. Similarly, the truce, um, between Diana and, and, and elder sister, again, Blake was kind of the linchpin there. And so that has become invalid, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I, and I mean, uh, uh, again, I feel like I'm reaching, but Blake voids the the Baham's power a bit when he when he clocks on to what exactly uh, he, is happening when there.
0: He, when he what? When he
1: clocks on? When he when he, when he clocks on?
0: <laughs> yeah, nice. I like. It. Um, <laughs> their time's up. You know, he's figured it out. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, um, uh, yes. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's sort of all I really got there as well. But no, there's, yeah, there's, you're um...
0: right. He 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 does kind of figure that out and and kind of voids their their power, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I I love talking about these arc uh, titles because it's always so fun to me. Um, so so diving into this a bit more, uh, some other themes that kind of came out this arc. Uh, to me, Blake's insistence. We talked about this a fair amount over over the chapters in this arc, but Blake's insistence on putting himself in danger kind of to the detriment of, of the people around him, right? Um, obviously, Alexis got shot by an arrow, Fel got killed uh, in this chapter. Um, they <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Blake threw himself into the erasure demon here when he didn't need to do that. I mean, it said it had decades <laughs> to wait, so he could have literally waited decades, Blake, but no. Um, I-, I think it's- yeah, and Isadora kind of summed it up as well when she talked about the stones tied to the one stone rushing towards the pond, right? Um, yeah. He, well, he, she
1: also, yeah, so she also talks about it like in this chapter. Like she calls him the little warrior again, mm. and, and sort of, you know, I think she explicitly says that he is not built to go down quietly. Yeah. Uh, which this whole chapter is dealing with the truth of that statement. Yeah. Uh, essentially.
0: Yeah. I, I, that was that that's just a major thing that kind of jumped out from our discussions this arc um and it again makes this ending all the sadder because blake this entire story has been fighting because he has to he's been backed into a corner and this is the first Mm. time that he's taken a fight really not because he was backed into a corner that he just wanted to take for the greater good and uh
1: you know whoops it didn't work out um I think another thing um, that I sort of took out of this arc, and we've already touched on it a bit, but uh, Blake spent a lot of time this arc confronting his trauma and, uh, I, I guess, his purpose or, or what what he wants his purpose or his mm-hmm. destiny to be. Like mm. um, mean, as as he sort of got to the end of the conquest contest, he sort of had to ask himself the question of what what now, and yeah. his answer was
0: go fight Er. Mm. Um, which may not have been the best answer. <laughs> yeah, you 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 do get the sense that, and with the kind of dream sequence with Mrs. Lewis as well, um, you do get the sense yeah. that Blake didn't really know what his life was beyond you know the the kind of drive to protect himself and and to fight. Um, yeah, uh, you know, and it it was un- his undoing. You know, his his yep, yeah, uh, yeah, his literal undoing. Um. <laughs> but you know that's that that's arc seven that's uh that's a wrap on old blakey boy <laughs> uh but uh and also a wrap on deep impact uh thanks for joining us for this uh very long episode um bloody interludes. Yeah. am i right Whew. Uh, if you want to talk about how this episode was just too long, you know, and you, you prefer us to go back to our 20-minute episodes, then the perfect place to leave us that comment would be in our discussion thread, which you can find linked in the show notes down below. Or other comments. It doesn't have to be that one, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can talk about anything to do with the
1: chapter. Yep. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, we're available at Media Podcast. Uh So, that's another way to get in touch with us. And it's also a way to keep up with the live reads I've just started
0: to yes. do. Yes. Those live reads are so fun, Elliot. I swear. Like I, Obviously, I get to see your live reactions because you're making notes and I'm kind of seeing some of this stuff as as you're thinking of it, um, but also just watching you tweet images of, of the script and be like, <laughs> oh, this is like this. It's very fun. Uh, I love it. So head on over to at MediaMD Podcast uh, to check those live reads out. Um, if you want more information on uh, the Doof Media Network, which is the beautiful network that keeps this show what it is... Uh, the place to go is to doofmedia dot com where you'll find more info on Deep Impact.
1: Uh yes. And and one of the other shows on Doof is obviously the Doof Cast. Uh it it's the the main sort of uh oh, what's the word they use? Podcast? Uh variety show. Oh, I see. Uh of of the Doof Network. And uh coming out the same day as this episode, so it's probably oh, already yes. in your podcatcher, is mm-hmm. uh the final avatar episode. So uh we joined Matt and Scott again to round out uh, Avatar The Last Airbender
0: and and cover season
1: three, and, and
0: that was a lot of fun. It really was a very fun discussion, but I have to call you out on something, Elliot because you said it was the final Avatar episode and uh, I'm still holding out hope that uh, some patrons are going to recommend Legend of Korra so we can talk about that.
1: <laughs> um, actually, probably probably even more importantly is they are working their way through uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, oh my God. film series and <laughs> eventually they will have to hit
0: uh, the movie that shall not be named. Uh, yeah, I still haven't <laughs> watched that unnamed movie um, and I don't know if I will. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, it's all well and good impact, but we don't actually have an Erasure demon in real life, so I can't just forget about it after I've watched it. Um, anyway, <laughs> the the avatar episode actually that we were uh that we were they they were kind enough to have us guest host on uh was a Patreon a patron produced episode. Um which is one of the many perks that you can get if you back uh, the doof Patreon at different levels. Um beyond of course the most obvious perk of just helping us keep, you know, uh, the Doofcast and and Deep Impact and all the other great shows uh, out to view all the great shows on the uh, Doof Media Network alive. So um, if you like this stuff and you can uh, spare some some change, then head over to Patreon dot com slash Doof Media and uh, give us that change and we'll keep these shows alive. Or else, <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yes. And, and as well as keeping Doof Media alive, it's also very important that we keep Wildbow uh, writing. Uh, and he's also patron supported so you can head over to patreon.com/wildbo uh and throw him some money to to keep yeah. writing all these fantastic stories yeah
0: it really is wild to me to think how long he has been doing this as a patron supported author like it's so awesome i love that i love that that exists i mean i love that we have gotten such great content out of it and and so much joy of of talking about you know uh this this dang book for over an hour for this <laughs> chapter so like wow we should wrap it up um but yeah, yeah. go go back uh, go go support wild Birds patreon
1: uh yes so apart from that we'll see everyone on monday the 8th of july for chapter 8.1
0: yes we will see you then